0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Rhonda, and Rhonda lived in a dysfunctional family with an abuse of Mr. Wright. It's a story of invalidation, intimidation, identity, self-worth, trust, and unconditional love. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have someone named Rhonda, and we will get to Rhonda in a second, but I have a couple of things before we begin this episode first. If you want to be a guest on our show, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. And then please read all the instructions and send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send in your stories. We need stories. This podcast can't happen without your stories, so please send them in. And the other thing that I want to discuss is an initiative that I've been wanting to do for a while, which is on our website, I want to be able to build a place for survivors if they're trying to get out or if they've just gotten out, uh, a, a place for them to leave a link to their Etsy store, to their eBay store. If you're a freelancer, that your services are on there, any type of business that you have and you're a survivor and you're trying to save money to get out or you're just trying to live. Well, we want to create a page where we can tell people to come. If you're going to be shopping for someone, if you're going to be using a service and it's maybe copywriting, something along those lines, that if you're going to do that, come and use the services of people that really need your help, they, they need to get out, they need to squirrel money away, they need to survive on their own once they're out, they need to create nest eggs, they just need to put food on the table for themselves, a lot of the times for their children as well. So we wanna create this on our website. So if you out there have a store or if you have a freelance type business, and you're, you're just trying to make, make ends meet, and you're just trying to get out of the situation you're in as well, please send us um, a link to your stores. Just send us an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com. Send us everything you have. We're going to start building this out within the next few months. So people can come. They will have sections on there. Uh, if it's a specific service, or if it's a, like a specific, like you're making clothes or things like that, jewelry, and we'll be able to link to your store. So people will just use it as a portal to go through. So please do send what you have in uh, and uh, eventually we'll have a really solid place for people to uh, come and use your services and hopefully we can help you squirrel money away or or, or just really live. So um, that is the second thing I, I wanted to say today before we began our show. So the episode that you are about to hear today was actually out once for about 12 hours. So if you heard this episode many, many years ago, it was only up for 12 hours. And there was a reason why it was taken down. And it wasn't because the person who recorded it wanted it taken down. I thought it was best at the time to do so. And this episode changed a lot of... Uh, a lot of the way we do things around here. And that goes from names to a lot of the times we change the places. And also, I always like to tell people to not share it. I know a lot of people want to share their episode, but the more you share, the more it can get into the the path of the people you don't want to hear it. And with this episode, that happened. And the person still wanted the episode up, but for the sake of the show at the time, I thought it was best to just leave it be for a while. And I know this person is doing uh, much uh, better now. So today you're going to hear an episode that uh, really changed the way we did things around here. It was pivotal in that way. And uh, I just want to thank Rhonda for uh, being our guest uh, at the time and, and being patient. And you're going to hear a lot of, sometimes on this episode, spaces where names could be. So uh, once again, a a big thank you uh, to Rhonda and for all your patience. And last two things before we begin. There were some issues with the sound on this episode. We got it to the best possible place we could get to because we tried to change or alter the voice. Uh, a a little uh, when we went through this process once again. And uh, the other thing is that there's a trigger warning on this episode. There is mention of physical violence and there's a description of physical violence that goes on in this episode. So if that is too much for you, please turn the episode off now. So with all that being said, Rhonda, the floor is now yours.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I was born um, into a, a big family, a quite loving family. When I was a child, my father wasn't really in the picture, but that didn't really affect my childhood much um, because I was great. Uh, I was raised by my grandmother and and my mother, and really for me, I had a really, really loving, happy childhood. It was the only thing that I knew and I wanted nothing more. Um, my grandmother was one of the most amazing women that I've ever had a privilege of meeting and everything I am is because of her. My family growing up was quite poor and, um, and they had their difficulties with addiction. Again, that didn't really take away from, from my childhood and what, what I had and the kind of love that I had. Um, in 2000 and Three: my, my mother gave birth to uh, my brother, and she was quite sick at this point already. And shortly after giving birth to him, she got really ill. So I ended up taking care of my brother for, uh, for a few months um, until we took him to the hospital and uh, took him and put him in an orphanage. And about a year later, my, my mother had passed away. From combination of tuberculosis and a uh, drug addiction, and that day I'll never forget that day for the rest of my life. I mean, I think in that moment, I really kind of lost a sense of childhood and a uh, sense of my identity. That was something that I just felt like I needed to grow up in that moment and um everything happened so fast, it was very chaotic and um very emotional within months of my mother's passing. I was put in an orphanage as well, which I had run away from a few times uh, to be with my grandmother. But um, I remember one day I was uh, sitting in class and the principal of the orphanage came in and she said, I would like to speak with you. And they put me aside and um, she told me that my brother was there waiting for me if I wanted to say hello. And I said, of course, because I haven't seen him in about a year at this point. I was very excited to see him and it was very emotional and I got to hold him. And they said that my brother was going to go to America. And um, I was so excited for him. And I, again, it was very confusing for me. I didn't know what was happening. But they asked me if I wanted to go and see my brother in America as well. And of course I said yes. Because, you know, I hadn't seen him for a year and I was so excited. And so... Within a few months of me meeting my brother, I was applying for a passport and pretty soon I was on my way to United States and I had no idea what was happening. I didn't know that I was being adopted at the time. Um, it was never expressed to me. It was something that they made it seem as if I was visiting my brother and that that was it. Coming to United States, uh, was quite challenging for me in a lot of ways because one I didn't speak a language and so it was very hard for me to communicate with family and it was also very hard for the family to communicate with me it was something that brought out frustration in both of us um, because we didn't know how to communicate and I remember having this little boat after being with them for about a few months I started missing home and I had this uh, book uh, that was Russian to, um, to English translation. And I kept highlighting the word doma and I kept showing it to the mother because I wanted to go back and be with my grandmother. I kept saying, I want to uh, go home, go home, go home. And uh, my brother's mom, she didn't really know how to communicate to me that. And so we just ended up getting in a lot of fights um, and just because I, it was out of frustration. It was something that we didn't know how to deal with. Within about four or five months of being them, I kind of started learning a few, few words. and started communicating with them and I could have, uh, you know, the bare minimum senti- like, uh, sentence for them. And everything was, uh, you know, we started communicating and they started asking me questions like what kind of family I wanted to live with, where I wanted to live, if I wanted a big family. And I just didn't know what they were like asking me. It was, again, very
0: confusing. It was. So uh, here you are. You're 10 years old right around this time. And unbeknownst to you, you have been taken from an orphanage, shipped or brought over to the United States and you have really no clue what is going on. Uh, you you just have no idea. You're now with a family. It's really difficult for you to communicate with them. Uh, they don't speak the same language as you. They're not equipped for this as as well. And at back home, no one really knows what's going on. Uh, so, like, how are you doing? at this point, because this really has to be the most frightening thing in, in the world. You're only 10 years old and you're now in a completely different country, values, uh, everything. And you're, you know, with this family and you're so far away, like you don't know how to leave. You are just alone. So how is it dealing with everything while you are there?
1: I mean, I remember just like being so frustrated. Uh, I didn't know how to communicate with anyone in school. I didn't know how to communicate with my family. I was crying constantly. I was sad because I was missing my home um, and felt like I was ripped out from my home that I had, that I had a happy childhood. And for some people, you know, it may not seem like that, but for me, that's all I knew. And suddenly I had no identity, no way of... Dealing with any of this, and I just, I just was kind of there. I was just existing, and I just was putting my frustration. I think I was projecting my frustration on her and and her husband. Um, and for them, I'm sure it was difficult too, because they didn't really expect to adopt both of us. They were they were going to adopt my brother, and then um, the judge had said that they needed to take us both in if they wanted my brother. And so for them, it was something new and something that they didn't really expect either. So uh, I remember it sat me down and they were telling me that I was going to go live with a different family. And I was absolutely devastated. I was just so angry with them and so frustrated that uh, suddenly I I wanted one thing. I wanted to go back to, and they were, uh, you know, pushing me to go live with a different family here in in USA. And uh, I didn't want
0: that. So eventually you get a letter from a new family and this new family is in California and they are excited to meet you and they send you uh, pictures and just really nice things about you being part of their family and you end up uh, going to California. But do you have hope that you'll still be uh, going back home to your home country one day or soon?
1: I think that initially, me, maybe if I keep emphasizing this, that I will eventually get my way and that I will um, end up going to see my grandmother. Um, but, you know, I, I think my perspective kind of started shifting because they both were very loving and very inviting. She's just very funny, very kind of outgoing person. And um, they welcomed me into their home like I was their own. and. I met my siblings and the night after they picked me up from the airport, I met my extended family members. And so it all happened so fast. And I started to feel like maybe that this is where I was going to stay, reassuring me. They were saying, no, this this is your family, because I kind of had this moment where I was trying to push away and I was telling them, you know, like, I want to go back. I want to go back. And I was kind of testing things. And Especially, she just kept reassuring. She said, no, this is your home. Like, you know, this is your family. Um, She said, you had a family and they'll always be your family, but really a new family and we'll kind of love you no matter what. And so it was, I think it was in that moment, very comforting to hear that because I think I was maybe afraid that, that I was going to be, maybe put into a different family and it was going to be like this constant cycle. So that was kind of my main concern that I was worried about. But the first three, four months there was with, I mean, I I, I started feeling home quite fast. I was um, calling him dad. I was calling her mom and um, things were going well. I started school and um, I was put into ESL, English Second Language. And so I was doing that. And then... I think started to kind of, I had these warning signs. I don't think I realized that they were there, but I just, it didn't feel right in the moment. He would have these random outbursts where he would like yell or he would scream at something at, at me for, for something that was, you know, I couldn't even remember. They were such little things. And I just wasn't feeling like that that was right. And I remember, you know, she would step in and she would say something and that would be the end of it. But of course, with the language barrier, I still kind of had a hard time understanding fully why he was upset with me or why he was yelling at me. Um, the thing that they kept emphasizing was respect and that they were trying to teach me, I guess, respect and what that, what that looked like. But yeah, and I mean, his demeanor started changing, his whole kind of personality. Suddenly this welcoming person, that welcome me into his home that made me feel very safe, I started suddenly second guess things, and I kind of started pulling myself back a little bit because he made me feel uncomfortable a lot of times when it just just his demeanor and and the way that he would communicate with me uh with yelling and screaming, and sometimes you know he would like out of frustration he would like punch the walls and things like that around me, and so it was it was quite hard i uh, I had a hard time kind of
0: dealing with that. So one thing I really want to point out here is that even though you came from this very, very poor upbringing, you had a family of addicts, you were still in this loving uh, family, you knew what love is. You know what love was. What love actually felt like, and what it was like to be in this loving family, especially because of your grandmother. So the first ten years of your life, you you just really had this feeling of what love was. So you knew when it wasn't there that it was that it was gone. So now you're in this situation where you know. What is going on isn't right, but you're, you're feeling that there is no love there, but you're still 10 years old. And because you're 10, your voice isn't really being heard by anybody. Absolutely.
1: I think there's, there was this idea of, you know, reflecting back on it, of this unconditional love where I had it when I was a child. And, you know, I, I never questioned that. And suddenly I was put into this environment where the family was telling me that they loved me and that they really welcomed me, but I wasn't feeling I, I I started not to feel that. And that became kind of like a warning sign for me that like I later looked back on because at the time I didn't really understand it he was all so chaotic and so much was happening that I was, you know, still in the process of um mourning my mother's death and I was kind of still going through that so that was you know something that was kind of I didn't even pay attention to really like I said I mean I was taken out of my home and then suddenly my my identity was gone suddenly I was placed into this home and I think in part expected me to be very accommodating to him and I don't know if they realized because they adopted three other children and those three kids they adopted from when they were babies. And suddenly I come in 10 years old and, you know, I uh, retaliate on some things and he doesn't like that. And I think that's where kind of their abuse begins. And I started seeing patterns with him um, throughout middle school, you know, with, with the nitpicking he would have, he would do certain things. He would make comments about, About the way that I said some words, or that I was mispronouncing words, or that I was using the wrong words, he he would make comments about my you know my weight. Would tell me that I'm too skinny, I need to put on muscle, and then he would tell me that I need to lose weight. So just little things like that. He was also in a lot of ways very controlling. Like he he would you know when he would have these. Loot swings, if you will, or outbursts, I would retaliate. And I would, you know, and I would, I would push back and, and suddenly it came down to this respect and he's, you know, him saying, this is my house, you need to respect me. And basically my voice was irrelevant. That was challenging as well. And in, in all of that, my mom, she also just kind of, you know, she saw what was happening and she would just say, well, you just need to respect him. And, you know, sometimes she would make comments um, that I was too sensitive about certain things that uh, he's just joking and just trying to, I-, I don't know, undercut the situation of what was really happening, I think. So I, I don't know. And in this this chaos that was happening, I started developing depression. Yeah. Suddenly, I started to feel a bit uncomfortable in in sharing certain things.
0: So, what is going on here right now is that your mom really isn't protecting you, and she's kind of protecting uh, your your dad, and she's invalidating your emotions, and then making you feel uh, guilty. Uh, about having emotions at a certain point so are you losing trust in your mom are you doing it consciously or unconsciously at this point because essentially she has uh, abandoned you you just don't know it yet
1: yeah and a lot of ways and in and... The reason that this is also so confusing is when all this is happening, they're still encouraging me to, you know, I was writing letters to my grandmother and in all these things, and finally, I, I was having that relationship also, and they were so supportive of that. So it was just again very mixed signals, and so I think for it was easy easier for me to see in his uh, the patterns of his emotional abuse, but I think it was a bit harder for me to see mom's way of using guilt and invalidation to kind of, uh, I don't know, in ways push me away. And And I don't know if I didn't want to believe that or if it was something that I just really just didn't understand in that moment.
0: So you just brought up your grandmother again. And right around this time, you're about 11 years old. Does your grandmother know what's actually going on?
1: For me, she was very confused. I was, I was writing to her and I was telling her that I was in USA, that I was living with this family. And she was very confused. And in one of the letters, she actually told me that she went to the orphanage. She saved up enough money to visit me in the orphanage, which was quite ways away from my home. When I learned this, I was devastated because in that moment, I realized that my grandmother had no idea that I was adopted either. And that was very devastating for me because I I felt in a lot of ways, this guilt and the shame kind of started to crawl up because I started feeling like I had, in ways, betrayed my grandmother. Um, you know, for me, suddenly I had all this all these opportunities, this life that from outside looks, you know, just wonderful, like a happy family, many opportunities, you know, Saw on the table, things like that, and things that my grandmother didn't have and lost. And I was becoming really, I, I was, I started feeling really, really guilty. And we communicated um, until she sadly passed away. I, I continued writing her, and the letters stopped coming in. And I finally sent out one final letter, and I said, "Please, um, just let me know." I kind of had this in. Intuition that something had happened. And I just wrote in the letter and said, Please, if someone reads this letter, just please write to me to let me know what had happened. And I received a letter telling me that my, my grandmother had passed away. I, I lost a big part of my identity and the very little that I had just was gone and I was shattered. I, I felt like so isolated and they were there and they supported me in this moment. But again, it was something that they couldn't understand.
0: So at this point, you are officially alone as far as the people that you know unconditionally uh, love you. And you are in the United States. You are by yourself. You're still very young. It's been really just chaos for you within this time. No one understanding really the depths of what you're dealing with, uh, the struggle of always wanting to go back home. And now the connection to that home is gone. It is just gone. So you told me that you eventually at this point started to battle depression. So what happens with you here uh, personally when it comes to your own mental health?
1: Yeah, um, I, I think my depression at this point intensifies and I, and I, in a lot of ways, start developing anxiety. I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. Um, I just had symptoms of it. You know, I, I had, I just would have random panic attacks and I couldn't describe what they were. I, I, again, I shared some things with my mom. Um, because at this point, you know, I still felt like she, she was there for me in a lot of ways. But still, like I was coping with it on my own, I think, because I tended to internalize a lot more than be more expressive of things. And so I just, in a lot of ways, I isolated myself and um, middle school was pretty hard. I I was, I started going to school and it was like this pattern for me. I would go to school, I would do my, court, uh, my classes, I, I would do things and then I would come home you know, he'd become more overbearing with a lot of things. He would just, he would never respect my privacy or my space. And whenever I would ask for it, he would say things like, uh, you know, you need to respect me. Uh, Respect was a big thing. And then that this is my house. I think that started coming in a lot more. Um, And if I want to go into your room, like I'm going to go into your room, you can't tell me no. And so just like little things like that. And I just remember I would... You know, I would be sitting there writing or something and he would just sit on my bed and would just watch me for like half an hour. Or so not say a word or anything. And I felt so intimidated. I I just was, I, I just, I was so uncomfortable and it was very uh, anxiety inducing for me as well. And I, and I couldn't explain it to, to, cause she didn't understand it. She would tell me that I was too sensitive. Again, I think it was invalidating me in a lot of ways. And, you know, I started to kind of start feeling like, okay, like, Maybe she's right. I like this is his home and things like that. And so, um, one thing that helped me get through this, I think, was that I started writing poetry and, um, I just would write day and night. I would go to school. I would write in school. I would come home and I would write at home. And that was just like a constant cycle. And not only was it helping me to better understand English, but also just helped me cope with things. And I remember being about, I think I was around 15 years old. My teacher, I became quite close with her and she, uh, I shared my poem with her. And she told me, she said, um, I think that this is something that we can, we can publish. About a month later, I received a letter in the mail. I've, I was at home and I was outside playing with my, with my siblings. And I received a letter um, saying, congratulations, your poem is being published and i just was so excited and i couldn't wait to share the story with my mom i ran to her and i was like mom mom my poems being published and she was so excited for me but then the first thing she said Well, you have to share it you have to share it with your dad and i just remember feeling like i don't want to share this with him at all like he made me feel like he just undercut me in a lot of ways like i just felt like i was unworthy and i just Felt like he would have a comment for everything. And so sure enough, when I went to him, she, she read the poem and he was like, silence. It was like the longest two minutes of my life just standing there in front of him. And again, he was like laying on the couch. And he said, but how did you, how did you publish this? Like, you don't know half of these words. And I just was absolutely devastated. I was so upset. I remember going to my room and I just was just wanting to cry. I, I was so angry with him. I was so angry by his words. And I felt like, okay, like maybe this is not something that I'm good at. And after after going to my room, I remember not writing another poem. When the book came, I didn't even read the poem in the book. I, I threw that away. And suddenly I didn't have anything to cope with. And that was also very scary for me because I think the insecurities were being driven by his by his words and his comments and his nitpicking, and then also there was a lot of things that I was internalizing and still processing and even at fifteen sixteen years old, I didn't really know how to deal with this i you know
0: so during this time did Anyone from your family uh, take you to see a therapist? You know, you've had a lot of stuff going on. You have your stuff with your grandmother uh, passing away, uh, just dealing with acclimating yourself to a, a new country, the situation you came from. There's a lot kind of going on here. So uh, did they ever take that initiative?
1: Initially, when I first got adopted, there was a therapist, a social worker that came into home um, she was there for about two weeks, and we said we didn't need her uh but in all of this, when this was happening, no i didn't go s- to see a therapist. I did express to my mom at one point that I was suicidal, and her reaction to it kind of made me I, I again it kind of reassured me that I need to back away from this and I think going back to your idea of like consciously or consciously recognizing her actions, I think when i Uh, discuss this with her, I think I started to kind of realize, okay, I need to take a step back from sharing things with her as well. Um, Because when I told her that I was thinking about taking my own life, I mean, I was at my low. And she said, you need to talk to your dad. I think that was the moment where I said, okay, I need to, you know what, take a step back and just deal with this on my own. Uh, Because I don't know if she realized the magnitude of how uncomfortable I was around him. And, um, you know, I I would come home from from school and I wouldn't even want to be in the same room with him because because of his racism, because of misogyny and just his comments and things like this, that I just was so uncomfortable that I always tried to be away from him. And so for that year, i still continued to have these thoughts and they became more and more like urgent, I think. Um, and I remember we went to my mom's uh, uncle's house and uh, or her grandpa was there. So I was trying to talk to him and and came into the room. He came up and he said to me, it's not, uh, like, why are you even trying to speak with him? It's not like he can understand you. And I was, again, so devastated because I had already been so insecure about the way I, I spoke English and I just felt like, I wasn't learning fast enough, and I was frustrated. And also being around my family, I felt so alone in that room. And it's not because I didn't feel like my family loved me. It's because I didn't feel like they could understand if I had expressed this to them. Um, And so I never did.
0: Well, he's just a bully. I mean... He is uh, a pure bully. I, really, he's extreme nitpicking you. Uh, he's kicking you when you're down. He's going after your, your vulnerabilities that he knows that, you're, that those are your vulnerabilities and your insecurities. He's exerting control. He's physically intimidating you in the sense of when he's around you, when he's in your room and hovering in that way, his presence alone, the way he's carrying himself toward you is meant to invoke fear in you. It's an, it's an intimidation, and he's really doing uh, a perfect job uh, of it, and you are just alone. You're feeling alone inside this house where no one else is experiencing the same thing uh, you are, and you're just, you're just really on an island by yourself here.
1: Yeah, and one thing I should also mention is that I I felt really alone in a lot of ways because I couldn't relate to the way that he was treating my siblings. He was, the way that he communicated with them, the way that he raised them was different from the way that he raised me. And I think a lot of the things that I was seeking inter- uh, externally was a lot of validation from him. So I was also undermining a lot of the abuse that was coming my way because I was really always constantly trying to get validations from him in a lot of ways because I was just trying to be like my sisters. I, I didn't understand why he was targeting me in, in a lot of these things. And so when all this happening, it was, there was that frustration. And then I was still coping with the loss of my grandmother and trying to just deal with the shame and guilt that I didn't really was speaking about, that I was feeling, because I also didn't feel like anyone would understand. From the outside, like I said before, it looked like we were a picture perfect family. It looked like I had everything in the world. And, you know, that in reality of that, I had nothing. I had everything, again, when I was a child and when I was living with my grandmother and and so dealing with that and then dealing with in his abuse and just internalizing a lot of things I ended up um trying to take my own life and I um overdosed on prescription medication and that night I, I woke up that morning knowing that uh, what I thought was going to be my last day and um I, I had this sense of calmness and numbness that came over me. I, I felt like that that was, in a way, I was like almost seeking closure. I ended up overdosing and throughout the night, thankfully, I, thankfully I survived. I ended up vomiting throughout the night, the, the entire night. And I woke up and the night was kind of a blur. And then I looked in the mirror and um, I had basically my blood cells exploded in my face. And it was so noticeable. My mom ended up taking me to the hospital. And um, the doctor came in and um, she made my mom step out. And she asked me if I was bulimic. And I said, no, I'm not. And then she asked me if anything was happening at home. And I told her, I said, nope, everything's fine. And I left. And I felt so embarrassed and so ashamed to be there and that that even happened. And I've never spoken about the story publicly, or I've never told, you know, about this either. And I just remember from that from that day forward, I just tried to in a lot of ways to try to get better and process things in a lot in a lot of ways and I was so glad that I was alive I think also when when all of it was happening it was it happened so fast and it was so chaotic and that when I was in that hospital room and my, the doctor was asking me, I really kind of started thinking and started panicking of what could have happened if you know if if I would have passed the land so it was a really um a difficult time for me and um
0: so eventually your family moves from california and they go to oregon and while you are in oregon very very early on you end up going to see a psychic and i know a lot of people will probably think like oh you know psychics what are you thinking or whatever you know Uh, They might think you're crazy, but sometimes they can say something that just feels right and you, and you run with it and you, and you believe it. And, you know, sometimes you truly, truly believe it. And sometimes, you know, I think when it comes to those things, sometimes you just hear the thing you need to hear and, and you, and if it's positive, you take it and you go with it. And, and this psychic really did change your life.
1: And she had tarot cards out and she said, someone is trying to come through. And she said, your grandmother is trying to come through. And I just, and she said, she's standing behind you in the corner. And my hair stood up and I got so emotional, I remember I started crying and This woman hugged me and she hugged me the same exact way that my grandmother used to hug me when I was a little child. I used to, when I was uh, uh, a baby boy, I was scared of storms. And when there would be storms, my grandmother would hug me and would fall asleep with me. And she hugged me the same exact way. And I was just so emotional. And and the things that she was telling me, I, I, I hadn't shared with anyone. And it was only something that my birth mom and my grandmother would have known. It was such a special moment for me, and I felt really the presence of my grandmother in that room. And the one thing that I'm really guilty about is that I felt like I had betrayed my grandmother. And um, this woman had said to me, she said, your grandmother is with you every single day, and she knows everything you're going through, and she loves you, and she is always there with you, and she is so proud of you. And those words were so moving for me, and... I felt like I could finally have this sense of closure from my grandmother that I was desperately seeking. Um, and so finally being able to have this closure, it felt so relieving. And, and, and just this calmness came over me. And I was able to just put that aside and... And from that point forward, I moved with my grandmother as she was with me to these journeys. And I think it made me a lot stronger in, in a lot of ways. And I think I needed her in, in, you know, in the coming years. I, I don't know. I don't know if, if that moment didn't happen. I don't know if I truthfully would even be sitting here and, and
0: being able to share the story. So we've had this earlier podcast with someone named Lexi, the survivor named Lexi and Lexi was adopted, and what got her through was her belief in Jesus. That was her strength. She always believed, no matter what, that Jesus believed in her, and it really carried her through. That was the love that she felt. She wasn't getting this love from anyone else in her household, but this love that she was getting from Jesus was this unconditional love that she needed. And it gave her uh, confidence in herself. And she was not looking for that uh, love at, because, you know, it, Jesus gave it to her. So, you know, for you, your grandmother was that love and it was true love it was true love it was unconditional love and you know hearing that even though she's not here on earth anymore you had that love put back in you here at that moment and and this was really the strength that you needed to to move forward
1: absolutely i i never really Truthfully, I'd never experienced the kind of love that I had with her. And I don't think I'll ever I'll I'll be lucky if I ever get to experience it again. And so every like I said before, everything I do and everything I am is because of her. It's because of the values that she installed in me when I was a child and and the wisdom that she had shared with me, really. She was such an incredible woman. And she in that moment gave me the courage to to continue and and deal with it, even though there was still a lot of and 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 there was still a lot of, uh, uh, of me asking for validation from him, and, and and you know, and just still dealing with this abuse. But she she gave me that courage and that ability to move forward with it.
0: Yeah. So after you have this moment, this really big pivotal moment with the psychic, you end up going to college, you end up going away to school, and with a lot of people, when they do go to school, their mind opens up, they meet new people, they see how other people interact with each other, and you have a little bit more freedom while you're there to understand, maybe what you went through wasn't the best, and you can really start to figure out who you are. So, tell us about your uh, college experience and, and, and how it helped you through this whole entire process.
1: Yeah, went to college. My freshman year, I joined every organization you could think of on campus. I was involved with everything. I joined a fraternity. I was excelling in school. I. I think this was protective self coming in to the play, but I was really, I think, searching for a, a new identity. I felt like for me, it was like a fresh start. I could just go there and, and make it my experience. And that was something that I was really looking forward to. And uh, my relationship became more distant in a sense, but he became a bit more... I would say controlling, you know, suddenly he was texting me and calling me and was asking me, you know, like what I was doing and things like this. And, and when, I would come at home, when I would come home for breaks, I, I hated that um, because, you know, I felt so uncomfortable being there at home with him. And, you know, he, he just made me feel very uncomfortable because I didn't really put up with things he was saying. I, you know, our values didn't align. She was often very racist. He would, uh, he would be watching TV, for example, and he would call, um, you know, an African American and the N word or things like that. And I, and I would just always had, I I would always correct him and I would always say, like, that's completely inappropriate to say. And he at times got physical with me because of this frustration. I think she, again, for him, it was like this control and I wasn't, I was retaliating against him and he, Didn't really know how to deal with it. And so he at times got physical with me and he would choke me and he, you know, would call me every name you could imagine. And then, like I said again, 10 minutes later, he would demand an apology from me because I was disrespectful. And my mom, yet again, she, oh, she's, she was seeing this and I just started realizing really consciously that she wasn't, you know, she would tell him, this is not okay. But then she would come to me and would say, oh, well, he's like, you know, he's just being like, you need to calm down. You need to relax and fix like that. And I, and just, I mean, it was, it kind of became almost like a joke. There was no excuse for it. I just, I started recognizing these patterns. I saw the control. I saw the nitpicking, him being overbearing, like the racism, just things like that, the emotional abuse, the physical and my junior year, I had an opportunity to travel, um, to study abroad. College gave me an opportunity to kind of start creating my identity, I think, in a lot of ways. And I, and I grew a lot from that. And then my, I think at the end of my junior year, I had this idea that, you know what, I'm going kind to of walk away. I think by the end of my junior year, I recognized that. This relationship wasn't working, and that I needed to look out for myself because, again, my depression was still there, the anxiety was still there. Um, I I had panic attack panic attacks often, especially prior um, to me going out for breaks. Like that was very anxiety inducing for me because I knew that th- this behavior was going to happen at home, and I and I I, I couldn't do anything about it. And so, my senior year, I. I had gone home. At this point, I am starting to explore myself. I'm starting to understand my identity, who I am. And I started coming out to a few of my friends uh, as gay. And uh, it was something that took a lot of courage from me again, because uh, just of how insecure it was. I don't think I came off like that because, again, everyone who saw me saw this funny outgoing guy, and then I would come home, and at night I would be numb unable to sleep at night and because like I just had no hope for future whatever you know what I mean It, it was just a really difficult thing for me to deal with and and but I I said okay you know what I I have to be able to grow from this and so I started coming out to a few more friends and surely like everyone was so loving and so accepting of me and and my you know my best friend in college he said my roommate too he said man it doesn't matter like I love you no matter what and Just, just these things were so reassuring. And I finally said, okay, you know what? I needed to come out to my mom and dad. I need to be able to tell them this because they need to know who I am. And I said, you know, mom, dad, I'm gay. And again, I, in that moment, I really wasn't, I really didn't care what my mom had to say. Um, of course, I wanted her approval, but for me, it was more important of what he had to say, because again, I was, I think, still looking for this val- validation from him and in, in this need to be or want to be accepted by him. And he looked at me. He said, "That's okay. I'll still love you, but I'm gonna still call you a faggot." Like who says that? I just felt like uh, something in my in my gut told me that this was not okay, and so I. Started becoming upset about it, and I started telling my friends about his reaction and things like that, and they were telling me not normal. And again, they started recognizing these patterns too, and so it further kind of reassured me that yeah, I think I need to um, need to take a step back from this relationship. I knew that these patterns of abuse, and, and emotional and at times physical, was real and it was validating, and that I I needed to do something about it. And my senior year, I was nominated for Home Family court. But prior to this, uh, like about a week prior to this, I went home and just just for like a weekend. And I was watching TV and I was watching, funny enough, Bachelorette, our bachelor and came into the room and my sisters were in the room and my mom was in the room. She was like half asleep on on the couch. And he came in and he said something along the lines of all these sluts want to be famous. And I just got so angry with him because my sisters were there. And I looked at him and I said, how can you say this about a woman? But then then you have your daughter sitting here and listening to you and, and you should be making them proud. You should be there, someone that they look up to. Like, I don't understand how you can say this. And I also said to him, you don't know half of the stories of these women on uh, on the show, and you know what? And she got so angry with me, and um, she started hitting me, and started cussing at me. And my sisters at this point left the room, so they didn't they didn't see this. Um, but my mom like kind of woke up from it, and she immediately intervened. And I looked at my mom and I said, "Mom, I'm done." And I got in my car and I drove away. And called her and I said, if he doesn't get help and if he doesn't get therapy, like, he will not have a relationship with me. He will not be part of my family's life. He won't see me get married. He won't be part of my children's life. I said, this is it. And so when this, uh, when this nomination happened for the homecoming court, I asked my mom if she wanted to come. And she said, of course. And she said, are you going to ask your dad? And I said, if you want me to, I will but I don't want him to come. And she said something along the lines of, I don't want to come then. I said, okay, don't come. And she got very defensive. And then she said, no, no, I'm coming. Whether you like it or not, we're going to both be there. And so I, I ended up, I ended up inviting him as well. And that whole day, it was such a fun day with my friends. I, it just was ruined again. It was something that I just, I wanted to have such a nice day. We were, you know, we had a few drinks in the morning and, and we were just looking forward to it. And and they were there. And that was the last time I saw him. And about a month and a half passed by. And I told my mom, he kept calling me, he kept texting me and I wouldn't respond to his messages. And my mom started with the threats and then he left me really terrible voice messages saying things like and being so fucking disrespectful and just things like this and I told my mom I said mom I'm not having a relationship with him I said I'm walking away I asked for one thing I asked for him to get therapy um and he chose not to and I'm walking away and and this is when they said and we're gonna take your car we're gonna take your phone um your health insurance and we're gonna stop co-signing for your loans and I said okay take it and that was such that was a moment also that I think was a key moment for me because uh, in that moment I realized that they had no idea what I was capable of they had no idea what kind of life that I had lived and the kind of how the she had put me through and that my mom was part of and I think that that was a moment for me where I said, okay, you know what? I will figure this out on my own, whatever it is. My grandmother is here with me and that's all that I care about. And and I left everything. And, if, and two days later, they came, they took everything. And that was the last time that I had ever spoken to him. It's been two
0: years now. So this whole time you think that your mom is this ally of yours, but when everything really falls apart here, you come to the realization that no, your mom isn't the ally that you uh, thought she was. So how hard is it for you to deal with this being a, a fact?
1: I had expected that that was going to be the outcome, of, the outcome of it, and I had prepared myself. And I, and I think it's easy to say for me that I, I think probably even going into college, I really didn't have a relationship with him anymore. It was, it was there but it was just kind of for the motion of things. And so I disassociated the, the sh- myself from from feeling anything with him. And I don't know if I stopped loving him in that moment. I don't know what that was, but I just, I, I was prepared for that. But with my mom, I was so devastated. Um, I, I felt heartbroken again. And, I, and it's constantly, I mean, I still at times feel that I, I was made a second choice and I've felt like that throughout my life for a very long time that I wasn't worthy of of love I mean it still it comes up at times and it's something that I'm working on consciously but that was I, I was devastated really I tried to be so strong and I tried to stay so together but I, alone I, I was I had nights where I was crying endlessly because I missed her so much um, but then again I knew that I needed to to walk away from the relationship because it was for my benefit. And I'll never forget the one message that I got from her. And I, and I explained to her, I said, Mom, I don't expect you to choose my side. I don't expect you to choose his side because that's not what it's about. I want you to love him and be a loving wife to him because that's your relationship with him. But I want you to be a loving and supportive mom to me because I'm your son.
0: And the sad thing about this is that your mom... Ultimately, uh, wrote you back and really chose your your dad over you, and it's a very difficult thing to uh, come to terms with. So, I guess how are you doing right now? How are you coping? Where are you uh, in your life right now? What are you doing to work on your recovery? Because this isn't really a small recovery at all. You've been dealing with a lot, your whole entire life, uh, emotionally, you've dealt with physical abuse, but you've been living in this chaos for such a long, long time. You've lived so many lives within this short amount of time in your life compared to most people. So I guess, uh, how are you able to move forward? What are you doing to move forward? And uh, are, are you still in school? Uh, tell us uh, what's going on in your life right now, uh, really on on a day to day basis as well, too.
1: Of course, yeah. I have moved. I moved about a year ago, and I started my masters uh, in media communication, and and so I was kind of started. I, a new adventure, if you will, here in, in Germany. And I, I've been living here for about a year and a half. And I, I think I, I made a promise to myself. I, I said that in order to move forward and in speed, be not just happy, but really have this feeling of being content and, and looking forward to life, you need to work on yourself. One realization is that I had, that I had was that no one's going to save you. It's something that you, there are going to be resources out there for you and there are going to be people that are going to want to talk to you about these things. And, but you need to really work on your internal self in order to be able to really fully move forward with this. One thing for me that has been made a big difference was surrounding myself with a positive community. Um, I have really loving friends around me. And I also just through reading and through, as I said, just communicating with people and and sharing my story and also just debriefing and discussing these things. I think that has made a big difference in my life. And I am, for the very first time in my life, I am looking more so living in the moment than looking for the future or living in the back. And I think that that has some volume about where I am at in my in my um, journey to um, to holiness and emotional and physical and I I've just I've uh, been very open to to new experiences, to new new adventures. I've I've started dating you know, going on dates and seeing people and I started looking on my insecurities by acknowledging them. I, I think then in facing them, whether you know, when I have these thoughts, I, I start reflecting on them and why am I having these thoughts? And then I and I go through that. And I know my days where I'm when I'm sad, or I have my moments where I'm kind of just want to be curled up in bed. But I am the happiest that I've ever been in my life. I can genuinely say that. And um, really, I've been really, really working on myself and just being conscious of that. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with me forgiving, just me wishing him, uh, really, genuinely finding. The kind of closure that she needs and, and happiness for her that looks like for him. I've also been, more importantly, really kind to myself. And I think that's most important. I think that I started to understand that this this wasn't my fault, that this is something that I've gone through and it has made me who I am today. And um, it will always be part of my journey. But it's something that I need to to kind of step into the daylight from and, and just start uh, focusing on myself
0: more. Yeah. So, Rhonda, I really want to thank you for being a guest on our show today. You've been through a lot, and you're still standing. You're still here. You are... Really, a very, very strong person for for going through everything that you went through, all your mental health struggles, and to be here to tell your story to help people uh, means a lot to me and to everyone in this community. Uh, to be so for, forgiving uh, to the people that uh, abused you, uh, not too many people, um... Uh, get to that point, and, and you already have a, a, at such a young age, and, and you're still on your path of of growing and and learning about yourself and and uh, your identity and everything like that. So, just like a really, really, really big thank you for uh, being our guest uh, on our show today. Yeah,
1: and I and I also want to thank you for for giving me this opportunity, and also more than that, for providing a platform for for people to be able to listen um because i think a lot of a lot of people out there feel feel like they're alone um and so being able to share these experiences or share these stories hopefully they can relate to these things and know that they can do this and that they can um look forward to a better future and and you know happier and and healthier
0: life so i i want to thank you for that as well So this isn't the end of the episode. Uh, The story kept on going in the sense of when this episode was released, it was taken down within a 12-hour period. And what happened was uh, Rhonda wanted uh, a member of the family who was not actually mentioned on today's show to listen to it. It was this one person of the extended family that Rhonda felt that, they could trust. And, you know, all Rhonda wanted was, uh, empathy and and understanding from someone within that family. And he thought he got it. However, what happened was, um, that person betrayed his trust and played it for other members of the family. And that caused, quite a storm and we put a lot of uh, fires out but this really set uh, Rhonda back and there was this other person that um, thought could be a little bit of a lifeline for him and it ended up not being that at all and it really made him take a step back to take a look at things even further and we've been in contact uh, with him uh, since that day, and I think it was like a year, a year and a half after, maybe two years after. And he's doing well. Um, he's back on you know his path. He's doing a, a, a lot better, and he just he's living his his life, and um, he's doing it uh, his way. And he's doing it without being uh, surrounded by abuse. So if you are listening still, uh, Rhonda, thank you once again for uh, being a guest on our show. And if you want to be a guest like Rhonda was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There, you can read all of these instructions. And please send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button and send it in the format that we ask for. And as we mentioned earlier on, we have a new initiative. If you have uh, an online store of any sort, an Etsy store, an eBay store, if you're a freelancer of any sort and you are an abuse survivor or if you, you know, you're, you're trying to squirrel money away uh, while you're in it and, or maybe you're just trying to put food on the table and pay rent in the aftermath. Please send us an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com. We are going to be creating a portal on our website, and we're going to eventually start to get people to start shopping. Uh, through the portal, they'll click on your stores, they'll go to your eBay stores, they'll go to your Etsy stores, they'll go to your Fiverr stores, whatever service, they'll go to your websites, whatever service that you're going to be offering people. We want people to uh, use your services to help you uh, get out of the situations uh, you're in, to squirrel money away, to create a better life for you and and your families. So please uh, send us uh, your stores. We want to really, really help you Um, create a better life. So please do do that. And if, I think I said do way too many times there. And if you need support, we do have our support group, and that's also at narcissistapocalypse.com. At the top of the page, you press the support group button. When you click on that button, it takes you to our support group. It's our very own safe social network. And on that network, we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, and Saturday nights. We also have uh, our own forum boards for you to post and for your fellow survivors to validate your experience and give you supportive words. We have ad-free episodes on there, and we have bonus episodes. We just did a great bonus episode uh, about the uh, movie Jennifer's Body. We dissected uh, that uh, movie from an abuse standpoint, calling out all these different things. It was a really uh fun time discussing this movie and pointing out all these things for everyone to see and to hear just so you can uh, you know, validate your experience through, through movies sometimes or, or, or TV. So we're going to be starting to do more of that. So we have that on our bonus episodes as well. And if you need even more support, everyone, please do go visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. And there you can find articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're going through. They have every website address, every phone number, every email address for shelters that are or domestic violence agencies as well, in towns that are big, towns that are small, everywhere. So please do go visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. And that is it for today. So for myself and Rhonda, we hope you have a good night.